Well, good morning and welcome to Friends Church on this holiday weekend. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. True story, uh, you know those early morning uh, dreams sometimes you have when you're kind of half waking up and stuff? I, I'd been hearing all week about people on vacation and, and people that weren't going to be here today and, and I kind of wondering if anyone is going to. I had a dream. I was sitting up here and I was trying to get my notes together and my microphone on because I was running late and I got up here and looked out and there were three people. <laughs> And uh, the weird, the strange part about it, they weren't people from here. They were people from my home church where I grew up. And so I'm trying to figure out, what what am I going to do now? Well, I'm I'm glad you're here and I'm not faced with that dilemma this morning. Uh, It's it's great. Pastor Kevin and family are off and so uh, on vacation and just pray that they continue to, to enjoy that vacation. And we're glad that you're here worshiping with us. I'm Pastor Steve, and uh, one of the pastors on staff here, and, and thrilled to be uh, sharing with you for over the next, this week and next week. It was uh, a few years after we, Sheila and I, became married, uh, that she was offered the job of her dreams. Now, this job didn't pay a lot. That would have been the job of my dreams. Uh, but, she, but it didn't pay a lot. And, and it was a typical secretarial administrative job. So it wasn't necessarily the work. It was who she was working for. She was offered the job as administrative assistant, executive secretary, to the general superintendent of the French church, which at that time was Dr. Robert Hess. Now, the general superintendent, for those of you not real familiar with our French church and our churches, is uh, kind of like the head honcho, the big cheese, the grand poobah, the, the, you know, whatever that might be, the, the, the top dog. Yeah, he, he's that. And Dr. Hess was that. Dr. Hess was a unique individual. He had been uh, served in the Air Force in World War II, where he came to know the Lord at that time. After that, he went on, called to be a missionary, and he served as a missionary in India. Came back and served on the staff and as faculty at Malone College at the time. I had the privilege of sitting under his tutelage in philosophy class at Malone. And then he was then elected to be general superintendent. The words, two words that Sheila and I would use to describe Dr. Hess probably were brilliant and humble. A combination that just made him very special. And Sheila enjoyed tremendously not only his spirit, but his wisdom in leadership. And he was one of those individuals that as the day would go on, whether it be a staff meeting or just in conversation, would find ways to impart this incredible wisdom that he had gained over the years through service in the military and missionary and his love of history. And and all of that would just come together. One particular day, he called her in to his office because he had to dictate a letter. Now, I don't know if places still do that, but uh, that's the way they used to do letters. You'd call your secretary in and dictate the letter. She would take the notes and read it back, and if it looked it sounded good, she would go in and type the letter. And so that's what she was doing. And he was dictating the letter, and unfortunately, this letter was to a pastor, a young pastor, that he had to reprimand. And so he was getting ready, called her in, and like you or I might do if we had to write a letter where we were going to critique and reprimand somebody, he wanted to start off with some good things. And so he started off by saying, you know, I know you've done this, and I've I've seen you do this, and and I like this. And and he went, A, B, C, kind of, here's the things I like and, and enjoyed about you. And then he got to the point where he had to really deal with the business at hand, and he said, but... 
and he started on this other item, the item that was the negative. And so he started talking and started dictating that, and then he stopped. And he said, no, that's not it. No, change that. It's not but, it's and. And he says, let me tell you, he says, many times when you're talking with someone or communicating, once you say but, everything you said before that is ignored. Everything prior to that but becomes forgotten because there's something else coming that is perceived of more importance. And so he said, it's not but, it's and. He said, both are equally true. The good things are just as good as the bad things. And so I want you to put not but, but and. Sheila read it and she typed up the letter and she said it sounded a little uh, awkward. Uh, You did this, this, and this, and you did this. So it was a little awkward, but she said the point was made. And then Dr. Hess took advantage of this teaching moment and he said to her, it's kind of like, like what I call the and of God. He said, in the end of God, we think sometimes that there are qualities, that there are disciplines, or there are parts of God's nature that are kind of opposite. That there's one, but there's that. And he said, it's not that, it's the end of God. You have God is this, and he is that. Both are equally true. One does not negate the other. And he started going through some of the attributes of God that would be that. And over the years, Sheila and I have have always been, as we studied together and looked, we've always looked for the ands of God. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at a couple that have spoken to me recently of the and of God. And and I think as as I was looking at this, this first one for today is brought forth beautifully in a psalm. And it's Psalm chapter 66. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be, re- we'll be reading the whole chapter and looking through it, or it'll be up on the screen in this room or, or down in the worship center. And so in turning to Psalm chapter 66, we see it starting this way. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing praise, they will sing praise your sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious song. You know, it was last week where Pastor Kevin and Seth were sitting up here. And Pastor Kevin asked Seth, Seth, what is it? What is worship in your definition? What is worship to you as a worship leader? And if you remember, Seth said, worship is in essence, at its core, a response. It's a response. And that's how this psalm starts off. It's a response, a response to God, a response to God And it starts off by saying, shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Do you believe a Christian should be shouting to God praises? I do. I think we should be shouting to God praises. Revelation 19.3 says, the great multitude shouted, hallelujah. Do you think you can do that this morning? On three? One, two, three. Hallelujah! Pretty good. One, two, three. Hallelujah! Hey, I even think I heard the worship center down here. 
That's great. Yeah, we should be praising him. Just right off the bat, shout praises to God. Why? Well, let's keep looking. Verse 2, sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. What the psalmist is saying, we praise God, first of all, for who he is. We praise him for who he is, for his glory, for his majesty. Who is this God we serve? Well, I just, a few, a few characteristics, a few, a, just part of his nature that I wrote down as I was thinking about it. God is a spirit. We know he's a spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. But who else is this God? This God is infinite. Do you know God had no beginning and he has no end? That's a great God. That's a God we should sing about, we should shout to, a God who deserves glory. God is incomparable. The Bible tells us there is no one who compares to him. God is unchanging. God is everywhere. God knows everything. God has all power. God has all authority, all from Scripture relating to us who God is. This God of vastness, of beauty, of complexity. When we stop and we think of God, God, how glorious you are. God, how, how wonderful you are. How awesome, awesome are your deeds. That word awesome isn't just like... We may use awesome. You know, someone does something decent, we call it awesome. You know, we call LeBron's Jan- LeBron James dot dunk awesome. And I had to get his name in here so we can recruit him, you know, like that type of thing. But, uh, you know, you can play that for him sometime. But, you know, we, those are awesome. But that's not it. This is jaw-dropping, shaking my boots, never seen that before, amazement. That's our God. That's how wonderful, how glorious he is. This unchanging, this God who is all, just all glorious. That's God. That's the God you serve. That's the God of creation. That's the God who deserves glory. And we sing praises to him. But verse 3 then says, not only do we sing praises to God and give him glory for who he is, verse 3 says, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. How awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Jaw-dropping. His deeds are are incredible. His deeds are unbelievable. They're, I've never seen, we have never seen anything like the Lord and what he can do. I don't think it's any more evident than we, when we just take a few minutes and think and focus on creation. God, how awesome are your deeds. Think about creation for just a minute. Think the power, the majesty, the awesomeness it took to put a moon and a sun and a universe and stars into orbit. God, how powerful, how awesome you are. Even your enemies cringe before this mighty power. Psalm 33, 9 says this. When he spoke, the world began. It appeared from his command. You know, when God decided to create the world, he didn't even work up a sweat. It was nothing. It's nothing for him to speak and universes come into being. It's nothing for him to speak and the world's created. No sweat. No problem. That's God. How awesome are you, God? How awesome are your deeds? This morning, do you have a sense of the awe of God? 
the sense of his power, the sense of his creation. If you're still struggling, I want you just to sit back, relax, and listen to this a second. This is a few verses from Psalm chapter 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Get this. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run its course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Do you get a feeling and a sense of God's power, of his awe, of what creation speaks about God. Did you notice that God's glory is demonstrated everywhere? No language? Nowhere. The people have not heard. It goes to all the earth and to the ends of the world. God's awesome power, the power that makes enemies cringe, is there for us all to see. It's there, evident for everybody. So as I think about this, what is the attribute of God that I see when I look at this? I see this God of glory, this God of awesomeness, this God of creation, and what I see is a God of power. And so the first thing I want us to think about this morning, God is powerful. If a God can speak and not even work up a sweat to put the worlds into existence, what can he do? What can't he do? And well, theologians have thought about that and they've come up with another word. It's a word called omnipotent. Omnipotent is an adjective and it's describing a deity or our God. It says having unlimited power, able to do anything. This is the attribute of God. He's a God of power. He's a God that is omnipotent. He can do anything. Anything. That's anything. (laughs) Anything. God can do. He's not limited in any way. When we really stop and think about this, that's when we say, awesome. That is awesome. God is so powerful. That's awesome. Jaw-dropping. Never seen that before. Whoo! Awesome. And our response, our response is to worship Him to worship this awesome God. You know, when we're thinking about this creation and thinking about this awesomeness of God, I don't know anybody that has a greater sense of appreciation, a greater sense of awe, and a greater sense of passion than my brother and your brother, Jim Craft. Jim is a member of our church here, and a few years ago, he's, a couple years ago, he set out and, and wrote a book about, on creation and how powerful God is and just the wonder of his creation. God is an awesome God. And in the book, he has this quote. He's about awesome. He says, The awe factor can happen upon observation of a part of God's creation. It involves our senses. We may hear, 
touch or feel something that was inspired by God. It strikes a chord within our souls. And for just a moment, we sense the enormous force it took to create it. And our view of life gets strangely bigger. We pause for a moment and we instinctively feel and express awe. Awe. God. How awesome. How awesome. I sat down with Jim this week. And I said, Jim, tell me about this. Tell me about this awe. Tell me about this glory that God deserves and, 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 and how this ties into creation. And I want you to hear just a few minutes of our conversation together. Another thought is regarding awe. In one of the verses it says that we're all to consider his creation. Not some of us, but all of it. All of us. And he says, well, it's not just some of it. No, he wants us all to consider creation. Um, and there's a reason for that. Uh, it, it, you know, it really does. It gives us, it gives us perspective. It gives us understanding. It gives us order. And when that gets, when that gets out of our lives, there's, there's, there's trouble. You know, I got into the obstacles and experiencing all. We just, you know, that's, a, that's part of it. And lately, it's been thoughts of evolution. Um, that you know, evolutionary thoughts just distract us from uh, God's thoughts, meaning evolution created when in fact it, it didn't. God created. He's the one. He's a, he's a jealous God. He wants us, all of us. He wants our hearts. He wants our minds. And when we hide that glory, um, you know, God doesn't like that. I mean, scripture teaches that if we hide his glory in any way, his wrath is revealed or will be revealed. I don't know what that means, but uh, you know, God's wrath can be pretty serious. And I think our lives are going to be de- devastated. And I think when we have that separation from God, that's devastation. You know, the enemy's won. And even Job uh, of the Bible, uh, you know, he was losing perspective. And so what uh, uh, God did for him is he talked about creation. You know, and he... he really put forth his 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 creation in the strongest sense is where and, and you know he doesn't throw his weight around around much in scripture he says job where were you when i laid earth's foundations and you know he says where were you, you know it's like where were you when i uh called the, the cub out of the caves at the right time uh and went through creation after creation and when uh, god, when god was done reminding him of these things uh, Job said to God, well, Lord, I've heard of you, but now I, I, I see you. And I think he was referring to seeing with the eyes of his heart because he understood God's heart. He wanted it to draw him near his maker. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, to be drawn near our maker. And uh, that's why I think creation, if we just get it, if we just shouts that he is, it shouts his power, his glory, his love, his overall uh, thinking of, of getting our attention in a, in a kind and gentle and loving way. Did you hear God is shouting to us through his creation? God is shouting to us. No language will not hear to the ends of the earth. And I love that response 
from Job. He said, I've heard about you, but now I've seen you. Your power has been revealed. Your power in my life, in this world, in creation, has been revealed to me. And if you go and look at that chapter at the end of Job, right after that, it says, Job went and he repented. He said, Lord, I've seen you now, and now I must respond to your creation. I must respond to your power. I must respond to your creation and your love to me. He says, I've seen, I've seen. And in fact, interestingly enough, that's the same thing the psalmist tells us in the next verse. Psalm 66, chapter 5. Look at this. Come and see. Come and see what God has done. What awesome, that's that word again, awesome, jaw-dropping, shaking your boots, never seen that before. Woo! Awesome power of God. The awesome miracles that he performs for his people. The same power that is available to create the world is now available to his people. God is creating a new work. He said, I'm going to do something great, some awesome miracles. And he says, come and see what he's done. And he reminds the people, i got to remind you of something. Do you remember you spent 430 years in captivity to Pharaoh and to Egypt? Do you remember that? And do you remember what happened? Do you remember you got up to leave and you had the Pharaoh chasing you? Look at verse 6. He made a dry path through the Red Sea. His people went across on foot. There we rejoiced in him, for by his great power he rules forever. He says, you know what? 430 years and a hardened heart from Pharaoh, is that too big for God? No, God's bigger and more powerful than that. Our chariots and weapons and, and armies, is that too big for God? No, God's bigger than that. God's more powerful than that. Is a silly Red Sea too much for God? No, we can go right through. No problem. Is a desert with no water and no food, is that too tough for God? Piece of cake. How about a land that's already inhabited by giants? Is that too tough for God? No. God will walk through us. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. God has the power to do it. For by his great power, he rules forever. He watches over every movement of all the nations. Let no rebel rise in defense. God will accomplish his will regardless of hardened hearts, regardless of obstacles, regardless of lack of resources, God will accomplish because he has the power. He's unlimited. There's nothing he can't do. And he watches over the movement of every nation. You know, as we celebrate July 4th, that's that's a great thing for us as Americans to remember. God is watching over the movement of every nation, even ones that are only 238 years old. God's watching And he says, I'm going to accomplish my will, whether you're with me or whether you're not with me. I will get accomplished because I've got the power to do it. And he says, there's still another response needed. Verse 8, let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praises. The whole world, all the nations, everybody, we need to bless God. That's our response in worship and loudly sing his praises. Our lives are in his hands. He keeps our feet from stumbling. He's reminding the Israelites, God's power has kept us through the years. He's brought us through all kinds of situations. God's power has done it. Remember that. Verse 10, you have tested us, O God. 
You have purified us like silver. Sometimes maybe we don't understand his power, but it's working. You captured us in your net. You laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. God never stopped working. His power was never thwarted. And he will not be thwarted. His power will have no end. And it will be evident until he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. That's what, that's what the psalmist is saying. God will accomplish. You've seen it in creation. You've seen it in your nation. God will. God can. Don't lose faith. And so he comes to the close of this section, praising God and worshiping God for all that he's done. And then in verse 13, this passage takes a turn. It takes a turn. And we need to look at this. Verse 13 says, Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows that I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. That is why I'm sacrificing burnt offerings to you. The best of my rams as a pleasing aroma and a sacrifice of bulls and male goats. Here the author is not responding. The world's not responding. The nation's not responding. It's the author that's responding. And he's saying, Lord, I was in deep trouble and I was delivered. And so I come today making sacrifices. We don't know exactly who the writer of this psalm was. It could have very well been a king that was in trouble and and the Lord rescued him. It could have been somebody else who was just going through a time of very much difficulty. And the Lord reached down. And his response to that was to worship. The same way our response is, only their response was to bring animals and to sacrifice and give praise to God. But I love this next verse. Look at verse 16 with me. Here's the the author of the psalm, verse 16. He says, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. Come and listen, and I will tell you what he did for me. At this point, this psalm becomes intensely personal. And we learn that God is both powerful and and personal. God is powerful. Enough that he can affect what happens in the universes, in the world. But he is intensely personal. He comes to you and he comes to me where we are. And it's not God is powerful, but, but he's also personal. No, God is powerful and personal. He brings that power into our lives. He brings that power into our situations. God is powerful and personal. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Each one of us as Christians, every one of us as Christians should be able to answer that question and to make that statement. Let me tell you what God's done for me. Or someone comes up to you and says, hey, what's God done for you? We ought to be able to say, I serve a powerful God. I serve a living God. Let me tell you what he's done for me because he's personal to me. Let me tell you what he did for me. It's not hard. We don't have to come up with big theological arguments. This is just, God, what have you done for me? 
And I love the story, the example we have in John chapter 9. Jesus is walking along one day. He's just walking along and he happens to bump into a blind man. And John chapter 1, 9 verse 1 says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Well, this created a big argument. They're going back and forth for the next few verses. Okay, whose fault is it? Is it his mom's fault? Dad's fault? Is it his fault? Why is this man born born blind? And, and Jesus, he answers the question, but he, he knows that's not the real issue. The real issue is something else. So he gets down and he, and he picks up some dirt. And actually, verse 6 and 7 tells us, Then he spit on the ground, made mud with saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seen. And for the next almost 20 verses, you see this firestorm breaking out. Who is this guy? Who, I wonder what authority. This guy must be a sinner. He, you know, he's, God doesn't do this. And, and they're going back and forth and back and forth. And, and finally they go to the man who's been healed. And he says, hey, hey, who is this guy? He, he's got to be a sinner. Isn't he? Isn't he a sinner? Let's talk theology. Let's talk doctrine. Let's do all that kind of stuff. And love it. In chapter 9, verse 25, the man says this. He says, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner. The man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I see. What has the Lord done for you? Oh, I was blind, and now I see. Well, is he a Protestant? Is he Catholic? Is he a, is he Episcopalian? Is he, I don't know. I was blind, I was see. Well, is he prima little, maybe little? I don't know. I was blind, I was see. You know, I don't know. I can just tell you what God has done in my life. And as Christians, God is working in your life, the powerful God. And God is doing something. Do you have a testimony to tell? Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. They're celebrating that Satan's been tossed out of heaven. He's been defeated. And here's what it says. It says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony is powerful. What God is doing for you can speak. It can speak to people at work. It can speak to people in your home. It can speak to people in your school. Yes, God is alive. He's real. He's powerful. And he's personal. And he's changing my life. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you the good things God's doing. Not 20 years ago, not 30 years ago. Let me tell you what he's doing today. Yes, God saved me, but he's still working on me. He's still changing me. He's still ministering to me. He's still showing his power through me. What's your testimony? I sat down with another person this week. Her name is Colleen. You've probably seen her if you notice her walking back and forth in the hallways. And I, I just asked a simple question. I said, Colleen, tell me what the Lord has done for you. Listen to what she says. I came to know Christ when I was about 15, and I was one of those kids that didn't fit anywhere. I was kind of lonely and a bit isolated, and just really trying to find my place in the world. My parents had left the church when I was in elementary school, so my connection to God was, I just didn't know much about him. But there was a part of me that was really searching for him. So I started looking into a little bit of Eastern religion, um, mostly into the occult. That's where I, because I, I was looking for God, and I figured God had to be, if God was real, then he was powerful, and he could affect the world. and. 
and I just didn't think the church had that. And so I thought, well, maybe it's in some kind of a mystical way I could find God. And I had a friend that rode the school bus with me who was one of the popular kids, which, you know, they never had anything to do with me. And But she would come and sit with me every day on the bus, which made me feel very honored that a popular kid would sit with me. And so I would tell her about whatever weird thing I was into. And she would hand me a track and tell me about Jesus. So she invited me one day to this concert when it was like, turned out to be just a bunch of guys in blue jeans with with um, guitars and they singing about Jesus and for the first time I heard the message that God loved me and um, that I could be forgiven and um, that I could have him in my life and they had an altar call and I ran forward <laughs> to ask Jesus into my heart and so that's kind of where my walk started I guess bringing it up to today um, God is amazing because He is in, so involved in our lives in the big things and the little things. Answers to prayer, I mean, one of the things that I learned early on is that God really does answer prayer, but He doesn't always do it when you want Him to or how you want Him to do it. One of the biggest prayers that my husband and I have both been praying is for our kids to really have a walk with God. My younger son is going to Jamaica with the Jamaica group and has a heart to serve God. And my older son is in college and, um, you know, kind of facing the whole young adulthood thing and is just, you know, dedicated to continue to, to follow Christ and not be swayed by the world. And that's just a huge answer to prayer for us. In my own life, um, I just see him continually um, directing me, leading me, sometimes um, disciplining me when I need it, which is a good thing, um, and just continuing to, to be a part of my life every day, um, all the time. Do you have a testimony? What has God done for you? The psalmist had one, and he finishes the psalm starting in verse 17. He said, I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. And then he has this little parenthesis. He said, If I had not confessed the sin of my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Good thought. But 19, but God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer, just like Colleen shared with us. God, the powerful God, is answering and paying attention. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. God is real. And this morning, God is powerful and personal. God is powerful and personal. And that personal part was revealed so much through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus came as a person. He ministered to the weak. He ministered to the orphaned. He ministered to the widowed. He ministered to the sinners, to the prostitutes. He ministered to the worst of the worst, the tax collectors. He ministered to the children. He said, I want to demonstrate to you that this God of power is a God that personally cares for you. And your, my power is available to you. And so as I look at this, and I look at the totality of this scripture that we've looked at, I come to one conclusion, and it's this. The personal presence of an all-powerful God demands a personal response.
God of all power, but yet uh, so personal, is speaking to you and has spoken to you. And you will respond whether you know it or not. If you say, I'm not going to respond, that's a response. You either reject or you accept. And if you haven't accepted Christ as personal Savior this morning, now's the time to do it. It's to say, God, I recognize you as powerful, but I recognize you as personal, and I need to respond. Maybe you've responded and you accepted him, but there's something else going on in your life, and you say, Lord, I'm going to ignore that. He says, no, 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 that's disobedience. That's responding this way. You can respond in obedience. Somehow, some way, every one of us, every day, responds to God. Because he's personal and he's living in our lives. What's your response? Can you this morning say, yes, I have a response. And not only do I respond to God in a positive way, I have a testimony. And I can give that testimony and I can share with others what God has done for me, just like the psalmist. Let me tell you what God's done for me. I love that. What has God done for me? What's our testimony? What's our response this morning? I direct you back to the first two verses of that Psalm 66. I love it. Shout joyful praises to God all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Can you shout? Can you sing? And can you tell? Can you tell the world? Can you tell your family? Can you tell those around you how good, how glorious God is? And here's what he's done for me. God is powerful. God is personal. The end of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you and Lord, we recognize that Lord, your attributes go on and on and Lord, these are just a few but Lord, this morning we concentrate and we think about the power in your name, the power in your being. More than we could ever even dream or imagine. But yet you speak to each one of us. And you come to each one in our, in our hurts, in our loneliness, in our despair. Or as the psalmist says, in our deep trouble. And you say, his power is yours. Lord, I pray for each one here this morning. Lord, as, as we are each responding right now to your call in our lives, Lord, I pray for those who right now need to accept you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray for those who need to be more obedient in their walk. And Lord, I pray for those who have been rejoicing and telling what God has done for them and celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, each one, may you go with them this week. Watch over, bless them. And may we be reminded of your power and your presence every step of the way. It's in Jesus' precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.